I enjoy meeting people, talking to people, learning about their lives, learning about their inspirations and their motivations, and that often uh, motivates and inspires me. And this is what this podcast is all about. It's me talking to real people about their real stories. So I'm an Ekpore. Welcome to Nettie's Conversations and please join me on this journey to feeling motivated and inspired by real people. Hello everyone and welcome back to Conversations with Nettie and we're on episode three now and today I'm really excited again to be talking to someone I've known, is it nearly... 10 years. Probably would be, 10 years, yeah. About 10 years. Uh, John Paul Davis, can I call you JP? Of course you can. Right, so JP Davis, who is a psychotherapist and author, and we're going to have our usual sort of meandering conversation. It might go in different directions, but we'll talk about JP's book, um, how he became a psychotherapist, and also about tips on um, well-being and the background to some of the challenges that us human humans face in today's society and hopefully get all that in within the hour but if not with there's always a part two so just to start can you tell me and the listeners about how you became a psychotherapist yes I was a, a solicitor for 12 years in the city and uh, well actually for 10 years in the city and then that sort of time 10 years being a solicitor is the time that you need to start thinking about being a partner. More, in fact, I was way past the time that you would tend to start thinking about a partner. So it's a sort of um, uh, choosing your pathway for the future in terms of career. And I wasn't entirely committed to being a partner just because things would seem to ramp up then uh, in terms of t- commitment. Actually, we'd just had Evie, my daughter, so the whole way that law firms worked and the uh, requirements as far as time commitment um, was was feeling a bit different than it used to because it meant uh, you know I was getting asked to do things at five o'clock on a Friday evening which meant that I wasn't home yeah. for Evie at the weekend so so having a child changed things and as I say it was a bit of a fork in the road career-wise so I was having to make a decision as, as to what I wanted to do in the future and fortunately my firm offered a, a, a take being able to take a year off yeah. a career break um they called it so i said that i would take the year off i did a screenwriting course um okay. Birkbeck, and i did some voluntary work where i was on a, a phone line um tht direct it was um and then and i that also voluntary work sorry to interrupt that voluntary work was that kind of sort of helping people yeah it was so okay. it, was, it was a phone line it was an hiv charity mm-hmm. terratikens trust and uh, so it was a bit similar to the counseling because I, and i also did the foundation in counseling and psychotherapy so doing the phone line was also connected to that too so mm. people would ring up who were worried about contracting some illness or um and i would talk to them on the phone, so I d- so I did those three things, and as I say, did the foundation year at CCPE in London for for counselling psychotherapy. Okay. And um, just enjoyed the therapy more than the other two. Really, I did carry on with the THT stuff because it was it helped in terms of hours for the for my course. Uh, yeah, never looked back. Really, mm. it was a completely different way of 
doing things far more natural for me. I would say that a, a solicitor, I could, you know, I could do it, but I was never really that great at it. And I suppose at the time as well, I was experiencing, you know, high levels of anxiety. Yeah. So actually, I was in therapy myself at the time, and that was another reason why I could see how helpful it was. It was probably through being in therapy as well that I decided to take the career break and try to do something mm. uh, different or look into doing something different because otherwise, you know, another 20 or 30 years of, of law stretched out ahead of me. Actually, there was also something that um, uh, the partner that I was working for did commit suicide at, uh, at the law firm. Right, so I remember okay. that having a big impact on generally it was quite a small team that I was part of so those things you know all that sort of mental health awareness mm. my own as well meant that I did the foundation course and it just all went from there uh, there were bits of it so yeah so I did that year the foundation year and then uh, decided to carry on for the next four years and do the diploma right okay uh, because it's 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 a four, four year part-time to be a psychotherapist and um, yeah uh, I, I did ask actually at the end of the year career break to go back to the law firm and ask whether I could part time yeah. do the law and the therapy. What because you thought oh can I do this? Exactly. Yeah. Because there's a thing I, as well which is I, I noticed you know I had a class of about 35 people at um, doing the psychotherapy and the people that do therapy and therapists generally tend to be quite similar in terms of social background and financial situation because there is that people struggle to make the transition from full-time careers yes. to earning money from being therapists in private practice so uh, I suppose that was what that was about there were bits about law that I would want to have held on to really right, I mean okay. I, I guess the financial thing would have been part of it um, but you know it was a you know it's a stimulating career it's not good professional environment and I suppose a little bit I was holding on to the status thing. Mm, yeah. Uh, but but yes, they said no to that. So off I went into setting up private practice. Private practice. Yeah. And, that's, and so they, from end to end, was, I think I remember you saying, is it about seven years, is it, to become fully... Well, no, in, in, no it's, it's a year foundation and then four years part-time. So it's, okay, fi- it's five, five years. years. Yeah. But, but I, and then we've had conversations before. You yourself then have to have, therapy is that right you do you have to have therapy throughout all of the training so yes. 40 hours a year for those five years and yeah. then you know some of the people that I know who are still practicing therapists and that's you know since I left I left in 2012 2019 so seven years down the line are still in therapy there's plenty of therapists that do but even if you don't have therapy you do have to have supervision right so I have actually every other week uh, speak to somebody on a completely anonymous basis in terms of the clients but about the client work and about the practice so um, you are in an ongoing and some of that can be a bit of therapy yeah. you know if something is difficult then you'll talk to your supervisor yeah. about it um, yeah because I think there was I don't know if you saw there was a comedy on channel 4 about um, a therapist um, my I'm gonna have a mental block on it on the actor's name um, but yeah, I remember on there, he every now and then had to talk to another therapist and they sort of brought in that yeah. regular chat with that therapist. Yeah. And I don't think people, me as a lay person who just looks at therapists, I, I was quite surprised when you told me that, you know, it's good for therapists to have therapy, but I can see the logic in that. Yeah, good for therapists to have therapy and also good for therapists to talk to other therapists because people, some people some therapists will work in schools and, and hospitals, you know, GP practices, where there probably will be around groups of other mm-hmm. people and therapists. 
if you don't, you know, and I'm in private practice at home four days a week, soon to be five days a week, it can be quite a lot. I mean, you have your clients to see that you talk to, but in terms of talking to other people, it can be quite isolating. Mm. So I, for last week, had, you know, three or four other local therapists around here just talking about, uh, you know, the practices and how things are. So it's, a, it's good to be able to do that, to feel part of something yeah, again, absolutely. part of something bigger. Yeah. One of the reasons why I've kept practicing at CCPE where I trained is to, again, keep, feel part of something bigger, part of a yeah. community, I suppose. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, what have you gone into a sort of a focused area for your therapy or is it clients with any kind, any, anything that they want to talk yeah. about? It's interesting. I would see probably mostly anxiety. You know, uh, uh, there'd be a lot of anger management, addictive behaviour, the usual things that you'd probably expect, mm-hmm. um, some d- depression. I don't see as much um, of eating disorders perhaps as other therapists. I don't know whether that's my gender maybe, that uh, tends to be younger women and they tend to go to uh, female therapists. Um, but it's a range of things I do. Mm. But as I said, I probably spend most of my time in this sort of anxiety yeah. territory. And if you're, if we're looking, can you put an age on that when people are starting to come to talk to you about anxiety, or is it a whole range? Well, I'm surprisingly young, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I don't see. I'm not a child and adolescent therapist, so sort of seventeen, eighteen, for upwards, I probably see people from all the way up until seventy-five, eighty. So, it you know it crosses generations, genders, sexualities. Um, uh, but certainly, I mean, it can be more intense. I think during during that sort of adolescent, late adolescence. Yeah. But certainly, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, people people in their 50s and 60s yeah. will experience anxiety. Because yeah. it's all, it's a part of all of our, all of our brains. Yeah. You know, that needs to be there for from a protective and safety point of view. Uh, but I think our natural tendency, unfortunately, is to allow it to dominate because we have an imagination as well. Yes. So if you fire fear into imagination, we're left with, everything we've ever heard or can possibly imagine that's that's could could go wrong yeah and um yeah that's well there's and i mean this possibly is a good lead into your uh the book that you've written and the reason being is because i've started to read the book which is called finding a balanced connection yeah um i will come back to the question about the book but in there you do you 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 wrote about a situation where because I have definitely suffered up and down with um, anxiety, which is kind of low level now, but it but it's there, yeah. and I I use different techniques that I've learned. But when you said about the scenario, you're watching a Netflix film, and then you you hear a noise, and all of a sudden you start to catastrophize. Yeah and you're potentially planning to go go out of the window. Yes. I haven't actually gone out of the window, but yes. I've, I've got my exit plan. Yes, and <laughs> you can see that's a sort of physical going out the window, isn't it? But if anxiety is triggered around, I don't know, friends, people you know at work, there's mm. a psychological exit yeah, yeah, yeah. that you'll do. Well, fight, flight, or freeze. Well, I'm, I know that... As long as it's as long as my daughter's not there. If my daughter's there, it would definitely be fight. And I think yes. probably all of us would say that about our children. Yes. But if it wasn't for my daughter, I would be flight. Yes. I am a flight risk. Yes. <laughs> when it comes I mean, to... and potentially when people are frightened as well, there's an initial freeze that they do. Yes. And the thing that I explain in the book or talk about in the book is that none of those three things are helpful in terms of relationship with another person. No. But because of our that anxious part and our imagination. And they, they're getting, I believe, they're far more 
part of relationships, you know, friendships or work relationships, personal yeah. relationships, than they need to be. Yeah. And, and if we don't notice that that part's coming forward, because the, the you know, fight, flight, freeze behaviours are freeze, nothing's going to happen, you don't, we won't communicate. Yeah. Uh, flight, obviously, we're not there to communicate with somebody. Yeah. And fight, when we fight, we are, there's anger, which is, I'm right, you're wrong, we dehumanise the other person. Yes. Um, and those kind of behaviours, they're only meant to be there to deal with an actual real threat momentarily. Yeah. But what's happening for a lot of us, I think, and again, which I think, but the way that our brains are, it's the natural thing that will happen, is they're coming in and out all the time. Yeah. And some people, if you just talk about you know generalised anxiety uh, disorder, it's it's all day. You know, it's it, it's coming backwards and forwards constantly. Whether that's somebody in the car, the car, or a partner, or a child, or somebody at work, or you know they look on social media and compare themselves to mm. physically to someone. So the threat part comes forward and says, "I'm less than. I'm lazy. I'm not good enough." Mm. You know, that's all I think. I believe it might be oversimplifying things, but that part is responsible for all of those disconnection. I suppose that's the thing that I say. The reason for the connection word in the book is that what I call that threat part, which is the safety checking part, where fear and anger and hatred and shame, disgust, revulsion, all those are when we're in them we're disconnected from ourselves mm. and our environment and as I say a, a momentary disconnection to save ourselves or to overcome the threat to fight is an essential part of survival um, but if that's happening too often we are pretty consistently uh, disconnected as I say from ourselves whatever we look at will be disconnected from whether it's our bodies or our mm. intellect or or other pe- all the people that are around us so it's absolutely possible to be present and among people and, and threat have come forward and uh, not being connected to them. Yeah, so it, and it's, it must be really, well I know kind of from my past experience when my anxiety was, you know, I hadn't learned all these techniques Yeah. and all, all I was listening to were those, when I say voices in my head, it, it's the you're, you're not good enough, you're yeah. rubbish at this, Yeah. Um, people are judging you, yeah. all sorts and there's all these colliding noises and it's really, really hard to get out of it, and it it's is. very easy um, in a to get into that kind of catastrophizing yeah. mode very quickly, yeah. and then come on to I suppose if you are severely anxious, the panic attacks and everything that then comes on from there. Absolutely, um, with anxiety. Uh, yeah, and it's that self fulfilling prophecy that I talk about in one of the examples as well. That if I if you say something that, and I think oh she doesn't like me, and I go fight for flight probably. I become fearful or disconnected you also have that threat part of your brain this problem identifying and you'll think well he doesn't like me maybe what if I said that and then both of you are it, it, people it bounces off each other I think yeah just you know to an endless dis- disconnection the way through it I think is you know is, is realizing it's come forward internally is that true the stories yeah. that get told by it, the catastrophizing stories very distressing stories it says you know the people usually I'm not good enough other people don't like me lots of things about uh you know people might think they're boring lack of intelligence you know those are the things that usually tells tells people um and um and then I guess as well social media has had a a huge impact on that as well because I was reading or writing something for about the effect of social media fitness influences on mm. social media because some of them are now uh, deliberately or, or a lot of them are 
putting up more real images of themselves mm. and um, the what they were asking for me to comment on is whether that is a good thing or not and I certainly think it is a good thing mm. um, because what what we want from social media I think is to connect with other people that's exactly. the conscious intention it's of going really on Facebook good part of that, isn't it? absolutely is yeah. to go on see what our friends are doing show our friends what we're doing mm. the thing is that we have those parts of the brain which about problem finding problem identifying mm. and also competition and compa- comparisons and I think those two bits are intrusive and we're yeah. compelled to do them and um, if we're not careful we, that's what will dominate when we're on mm. social media rather than thinking how lovely that that person's having fun my yes. friend will think gosh they seem to be having more fun than I do yeah and then that in itself they aren't necessarily having more no. fun because they they themselves could be having a struggle and, and thinking but I'm going to let everyone think that everything's fine yeah. so I'm going to go and put this picture up and yes. show that it's great and sometimes everything is fine and, and we're just celebrating yes. the day that we're having Yes. we were also talking I think we've last night and other nights about likes on yes. um, social media and our yeah. thoughts on it and I said I'd like I don't know you see and my daughter seems to think they are doing this but I don't know if they're taking it fully this way because I would like to see <clears throat> all the social media companies take away just keep comments and just take away anything that's saying like, dislike, heart. Um, because it, it has an impact on us. I think without us sometimes admitting it, sometimes you will admit it, is that you'll see, oh, I've put this post up and not many people have liked it. Yeah. Or I've put this post up and um, that person um, hasn't liked mine, but they've liked theirs that's really similar. And, these, and I was asked my daughter last night, I said, if they removed like, would would it would you find it better? And initially, she said, um, "Oh no, I don't. I don't know that. That would be weird because I wouldn't know. I'd feel weird putting something up if I didn't know." But then I was talking around with her. So sorry, I'm going on a little bit about this. Sorry. But I've um, I've used um, Tinder before, and I've used other online dating apps. And I think as much as Tinder's got like a bad reputation for some elements, the thing that Tinder does is it doesn't show you who likes you. Yeah. it doesn't show the only way you know if you've got a match is if you both match with each other and that's it and I to me that takes the whole negative psychology away from online dating yes. because if I don't know you know how can that hurt me so yes. I think it's the same with social media yeah because I think what what Instagram are doing they're allowing you to see who likes yours and how many people have liked your picture so I can see from that point of view because I did I said to Evie when I first heard I'm slightly misunderstood I thought they were taking completely taking away your capacity to see likes and she did say to me well how can I tell somebody that I I like them or what they're doing so what where she was coming from I suppose was a connection thing is how do I show my support for 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 a friend if they posted something and um, what I think what Instagram are doing are taking away my capacity to see somebody else's likes. So yeah. what so what they're trying to do, I believe, is stop the comparison, is stop the like me being compelled yeah. unconsciously below the radar to feel bad because I get less likes than somebody else. else. So that anything I believe that takes away our ability to compare actually, yes. because that comparison is the thief of joy thing. Uh, I think is is really helpful. Yeah. No, and I think that's really definitely helpful. a good start. I think yeah. then if they could also then, I get Evie's um, reasoning behind that, and I think that's 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 a good thought process because yeah, it is connection. Yeah. But maybe then remove the, 
the hearts and the thumbs up. Like, why yeah. do you need a heart and a thumbs yes. up? Because then all of a sudden it's like, well, I do like it, but I yeah. don't necessarily yes. love it. But there's great of like, you know, Facebook, there's laughing, there's love. There's <laughs> and they love. don't find that <laughs> well, funny. Uh, yes, uh, but almost you can see, uh, because there is, you know, some people just like something, some people put a love on it. Don't yeah, they? yeah, yeah, totally. And so you're even, again. <laughs> putting... Depending on what day you're having, it's just like, yeah. oh, right, so you just liked that. Yeah, then, and loved somebody else's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, uh, but again, it go, that goes back to that competition and comparison exactly, thing, which yeah. I think human beings were programmed to do because the the problem finding is about survival which of course you know is the reason we're still here and I think the comparison and competition thing is about having more than your neighbor effectively and again those people that had more would have would have thrived mm. so so I also think we're compelled to do that too but one of the things I say in the book is that to, to always be in competition with people, to always be comparing, is to always be disconnected from other people. Yes. Because we're always either better than or less than. Yes. Than. Yeah, yeah. Which, and the other thing, you know, there's a whole chapter on the book on connection with other people and how vital and fundamental it is to our mental well-being, yeah. or physical, mental, every part of our well-being, to have good relationships with other people. Oh, but as soon as we compare, good. even in our heads, if we're sitting with somebody, uh, you know, I would see we've, we've disconnected well, you have, haven't you? Because even any any kind of thought, if you're if if you've got all these thoughts rushing around in your head, um, and then you aren't naturally connecting. Yeah. And and me as a person, and I don't know if everyone's like this. So I, um, I, I don't know whether you call it natural empathy, but I I notice people's feelings. I notice people's facial fa- people's facial yeah. expressions. So I can absolutely tell if someone's seemingly yeah. disinterested in what yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. So then all of a sudden that connection's broken because yeah. I think well they're not really interested yeah. so and then the judgment thing comes in with me and I think well it, I, I'm just really not going to say much at all now so yes. uh, so yeah um yeah it, it is it is such an interesting one that isn't it and going on with social media there is something I'm just reading from my paper here I am um, every now and then on Instagram and Facebook to me have kind of different purposes and I think the thing I like about Instagram is you often it feels like the place to put your inspirational quotes and we yeah. like to do that and actually I know some people they're a bit marmite to people inspirational quotes but my philosophy is if it works for you if you wake up in the morning and you see someone's quote and you think oh absolutely I, I love that and it connects with yeah. you then, then yeah. I'm not going to judge that so I, I was doing a, a little I think it was um it was an Amnesty International quiz. What's your personality? So, what would your inspirational quote be? So, it came out. There was a Dalai Lama one, and I put it on Instagram, and it said, "Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive." And I loved your response to it. So, most people like it and everything. Go, oh, great quote. And your response um, was that um, we'll survive but we won't be happy yes and I'd love you to kind of talk more about that yeah because I think the great thing now in 2019 is is life doesn't just have to be about survival Uh, you know we are far safer than we would have been when our brains were evolving you know that problem finding mammoth at the cave door that we need to defend ourselves from of course there are risks there are some physical risks that we have to be wary of but largely you know there's a there's an NHS I know there are issues with that but if we become ill there is a safety net there uh you know school education is there's a you know society-wide provision of that we have access on our phones to all sorts of information Mm. and billions of people around the world so 
actually our quality of life you know we're much safer than I think we've we've ever been mm. um, but as I say I think what our brain's natural tendency to do is still preoccupy about problems and which is fundamentally a survival issue and it's the reason we're still here so as I say to do that we'll, we'll carry on living um, I mean you could say that being in survival mode a lot of the time people are either sort of overly aroused so frightened and angry more than they need to be or under so depressed because I, I think what it's the, the root is the same thing for people but some people sit more in over arousal so I would sit more in anxiety Me too. whereas other people that I know would it switches off if it's on for too long uh, they just the, the system gives up and it shuts down and they would be depressed mm. hopeless helpless despairing but I think the roots the same and some people go between the two um, you could say that if or and if people then try to anesthetize things with addictive behavior and substances that actually it does the opposite in terms of survival and people's lives become you know to be through suicidal behavior or uh, that actually it can be counterproductive to survival but and the intention of it is is to survive and keep us alive and, and with addictive we're not just sort of saying drugs and alcohol that can be sex that can be food absolutely i mean there's a huge amount yeah of and i think i say in the book the number of 12-step groups which is a you know a free sort of group treatment for addictive behavior i think there are there's either 24 or 42 i might be getting but Why you know there? there is there is under earners anonymous there is shoplifters anonymous you know all sorts of addictive behavior yeah. i mean some people would see anxiety and depression as addictive thought patterns yes um you know it's just our natural human tendency to do it and it's a natural human tendency i think to be more frightened than we need to be to be more therefore more angry than we need to be and as i say some people's response is to switch off to that um but that's all in the sort of survival, survival territory yeah, yeah. What we can do, I think, in 2019 is, is live m much more meaningful, purposeful mm. lives. We've got our basic needs taken care of. Yeah. I don't have to worry that a tiger, <laughs> whatever it would have been, wouldn't have been the tiger, but he's going to leap. He's going to leap over the fence and hurt me. Let's hope you've not got a local zoo in the area now, JP. <laughs> if we if we're recording this podcast now and a tiger comes it's, bounding towards us, that's it suddenly goes fault. quiet. It's tempted to fake there. It's raw. <laughs> Um, that uh, that we don't have to we don't have to worry about those things that our brain naturally will will do. We can actually, uh, you know, lead lead very happy, meaningful, and purposeful lives. Yeah. And I think you know, ha happiness is about having meaning and purpose. That that difference between enduring in life, survival, and living, as I say in the book, intentionally. So. Mm -hmm. So from that point of view, you know, what is what working out what's important to you, what your values are, you know, why what you want to get from work, what you want from a relationship, what is love? Are you getting what you want to need from a, a relationship? Mm. All those things are the things that make people is the difference between just getting through and being happy. But as I say, our brain is more likely to do the just getting through and staying alive yeah. thing. Um, so we have to, I believe, consciously manage that. There is also the thing that we do what we're shown as we're growing up as well. Mm, and, uh, and because our natural human experience, I think, is to do more of the survival comparisons competition thing, uh, it's often what's what's been modelled for us. Yeah, so, um, oh, I don't think you should go to that university, or, oh, right, that job that you're picking, that's not going to give you a future, all those kind exactly. of things. Or that, more that status-type thing of... Um, 
uh, that job earns a lot of money, so do that. Do that, you yeah, know. yeah. Uh, what the professions, because of the status of it. Yeah. And I'm not diminishing that. You know, those are important things. Income is important, isn't it? Status, we're bound to feel good if people think, gosh, you're, what a great job. You know, we're programmed to feel good about those things. They are, that status thing, though, is outward in, is other people's approval. Yeah. And actually, I think what is important to spend more time doing is thinking, what is it that I, what makes me happy? Well, yeah, so it's, and and because one of the things that's really, really helped me is this whole, I suppose people are calling it self-love, is Mm. to know that I am enough. Yeah. It's not anyone else is completing me. Yeah. It's about me. Um, I used to be, I'm not going to say guilty, but I suppose for years I would put myself to the back of the queue. Yeah. Um, I believe that my, my, my daughter will always be at the front of the queue and she will, well, until she has her own kind of independence, but at the moment um, she'll be ahead of me in the queue. But now I'm moving myself to, you know, behind my daughter, probably parallel with my yes. parents. Yes. Um, and that's, that's made a big difference to kind of put myself and think of myself and not believe that, um, I necessarily I, I need connection like you say connection is what I need but I don't need that person and that person to make my day better I have to kind of look look yeah. to myself to be yes. able to, to yes. do that and self-soothe and all that absolutely kind of because that would be connection uh, with self yes. I, I, in the, the language that I would use in the book you know one of the important reasons for connection with other people is they reflect back our worth and value so they mm. will say they will laugh at something potentially that we say so we'll, we will see through somebody else's eyes that we're funny or they will say they might say oh that's interesting or uh, just we can get a lot of validation mirrored back from other people yeah it's that's one why of the i important. come to you because you usually laugh at my jokes <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> i laugh at yours so there yeah, we are yeah it's connection isn't it <laughs> it is connection yeah we're so funny <laughs> <laughs> we are so funny <laughs> um but the other thing, the thing that we can often miss, I think, is that we can be doing those things ourselves internally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it might, and it's one of the things that I would suggest in the book in terms of grounding connection with self is to do things like take stock of, because we're naturally problem focused, to, to instead take stock of, you know, say professionally, personally, uh, all the all the good things about us and the great things about mm. us that mean that we've been able to sustain a career for however long, assuming that's what's happened, or a relationship, or whatever it might be, or ma- or manage a you know uh, manage, but have a good relationship with a child. You know that takes particular qualities, mm. communication skills, patience, empathy, and we don't. Our brains naturally don't do that. Mm. Uh, probably don't actually don't do that with other people, as I say, but certainly don't do that with ourselves as well. And there is that thing that taking care of other people does help us to feel good it's not an entirely selfless act you know fortunately so that's a great thing mm. taking care of children helps us to feel good and helps the child to feel good um so some people will but that's the only way that some people can get to feel good about themselves is to help other people because mm. their internal sense of self they don't feed themselves internally mm. uh, so an amount of the book is about that as i say which is you know and also what does love what is love? What are the qualities of love? So yeah, you were saying people, when you ask them this, no one, that's, that's the question yeah. they struggle with most. Yes, and just connected to what you said earlier as well, that um, to put my own needs, to know what I want, and, and at times, if that does conflict with somebody else, another adult, to put my needs first. A lot of people say that's selfish. Mm. They've got the message somehow that that's rather than self-care or actually my responsibility to do that, it's my responsibility to take care of myself, which will some 
times mean doing the thing that I want to do, even if it conflicts with what somebody else wants to do. That's selfish behaviour. Mm. And uh, that, I think that's a message we often pick up during childhood. I also think it's a message that I would hear more from, not to do any kind of men do this, women do that type of thing, because mm. from what I see from people generally, and certainly my clients as well, is people, are, men and women, are much more similar than they are different, actually. Yeah. But one of the things I would hear more commonly from women is that it's selfish to put their needs above someone else's. Yeah. Um, which is, is and that's what yeah, and I suppose that's what I saw with my grandmother, with my exactly. mom, and it's and it's not even that they've said it; it's that I I witnessed it. Yeah, it's behavioural. I mean? Yeah, yeah so it's absolutely. And there is that um, again. I might say that in the book that children will will they copy behaviour no matter what we say because there's another thing that sometimes people again more probably more often women will say that they want their daughters and sons but to have good body image for example and so they tell them that they're they're beautiful and they they ought to love their bodies and then they they will say that but they refuse to have the photograph taken because they don't like themselves in pictures and I think a, a child actually will look at the behavior they'll hear the words as well I know I should love my body but my mother or father whoever it is is uncomfortable having their picture taken and I think it's more that they'll do what, they'll do what they see you do I think how scary is that because as you're saying that I'm now thinking of all the things that I've probably yeah. done like that yeah. but, and you know so so I think oh you know I'm very conscious that I'm doing this with my daughter and that kind of parenting but all those subconscious things yeah, yeah I've definitely exactly. done because if you're looking at the problem the survival stuff the problem finding stuff it's probably our natural tendency without consciously doing something different to have a disconnected relationship with our body and just to see the problems yeah. and we are therefore not likely to want to put that you know have pictures taken of that or yeah. not likely but that we might have some discomfort doing that um, and again one of the other things that I do in the book in terms of some really important connection with the body which is to work through every day potentially or just whilst you're walking along all the great things that your body's doing that mm. go below the radar that we take for granted, you know, the mm. breathing, heat generation, seeing, hearing, assuming all those things are, are there, but yeah. it's always growing, changing, keeping yeah. us alive, breathing, you know, the act of staying alive, we don't have to do anything about, it's completely um, yeah. automatic. Yeah, and I guess, as even, even though there are threats, which often seem bigger because of the news or yeah. portrayed as huge, huge on the news and one of the things I do is I limit my news watching to um, five minutes in the morning before yeah. work yeah, for that too. reason yeah. but um, you know we're not like the I don't know the ant on the ground who um, very quickly could have be, be doing its little work and having a foot stepping on it we don't have that level of threat in no. our everyday lives no. and that's something to be really quite grateful about but we won't think about it no I mean, actually, the, the the most critical things that we would hear, I think, for most people, would be in our own from that threat part mm, of us. Yeah. Whatever you call it, some people call it an inner critic, or. Oh yeah, yeah, inner critic. Yeah. I, that, through another, because uh, I'm using someone else's phrase, I call it um, a shitty committee. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. it's but yeah, my and and I think until someone had actually given it a name. Yeah. I'm. I think in almost having an awareness of it has helped me because yeah. I'll say okay that's my shitty Completely. committee talking and, and um, it's a very important part it's in a lot of different types of th therapy theory that's what you'd call it as well to to treat ourselves as different parts there are things where I trained sub-personalities so you would identify each 
subpersonality. There's something called internal family systems, which uh, asks or suggests that you identify different parts of self and then see how they relate to each other. And one of the important things is to make no part wrong. You know, if it is a part that's addictive, if it is a part that's anxious, because a lot of people would say, I, I don't want to be anxious. But one of the things that was that, you know, it is an important, it's a protective part. Mm. It took care of Maisie when she was young, takes care of you yeah. now. I don't want to walk right down that dark alleyway because I'm, I need to take care of my, you know, physical survival. I'm going to hold my daughter's hand whilst we're walking down the street because I don't want to accidentally go in the road. Um, but that, that concept of different parts of us is, in, is incredibly important. And it's the reason in the book for having threat, reward and connection. It's mm. to say, uh, you know, when somebody, if I talk about anger, which is interesting as well, people say, I'm not an angry person. So things like fear and anger tend to consume people. When they're in them, they believe, they'll talk as if I am angry or I am, I am. But it, as a, what we need to do is take the best of those things and also be able to move them back. Uh, if they're unhelpful at times that they're unhelpful and in order to do that you sort of have to be able to observe them so you have to talk treat them as a part of self just mm. a part of self and um, so I, a lot of what I do of therapy in therapy is if somebody's talking about anxiety we'll also be trying to move them I suppose into that place of love and connection mm. so this week although they may have panicked about that or acted out uh, in an addictive process they also experienced enjoyment. They went to a, 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 a play or a, a musical and felt a rise of emotion, which would be about love usually, yeah, and, and or I, grief. And that's a very different part to fear and anger. So uh, to be able to do that is cr- incredibly helpful, I think. People give it names. Yeah. You know, that they, people would say, I suppose, depression is the black dog or black cloud or those things. Um, and they all of that I think is, is is to sort of personify it well and I think it's I mean so I personally from since January I write um, a grateful journal at night Brilliant. so I'll do yeah. three things I'm um, grateful for now uh, lately I don't necessarily do it every day now but what I do try and do is and they have to be specific things it can't be I'm grateful that I've got a daughter it has to be specific things that day and I do it on my what I call my worst days my days definitely do it on those days when I've gone to bed and I'm feeling particularly because then I will spend a long time and like you say I might have forgotten about that musical that I've been to or something that's uplifted me and then when I write it on the page I'm also closing my eyes with those positive thoughts as opposed to the the negative thoughts that I was carrying around but but also going on from that so I guess there are obviously things that have happened to us in the past um, in, in terms of, I don't know, relationships. Um, and uh, and there pro- probably are people that we've come across that have had quite negative behaviours. And unless they want to help themselves, there's nothing we can do about no. them. But we do, um, I think we are quite guilty of um, then thinking, oh, well, this is going to happen to me or that person's going to be like that because it's happened yeah. more than once in the past. Yeah. So is that then where having your sense of self and your awareness is going to help you to sort of like get rid of that? Definitely, and an awareness of that part. In my book, I suppose I would call it the threat part. But the that inner critic that criticises us will also criticise other people, and it tells us distressing stories. Mm. And it, it will, you know, if somebody over the course of three years has, once a year, done something which wasn't very nice, 
threat part will pull that in and tell a story which is that person is selfish or manipulative and then we have a confirmation bias as well which will which then or that part does which then notices only notices behaviors after that that fit with our story that they're selfish and manipulative so uh, and again it's all protective and will they also then notice it in other people so if they've seen it in so they're, they're almost looking yeah, for those behaviors. well absolutely well because some people that threat part you know it may not just be about one person but we develop beliefs about all sorts of people it does a pervasive thing all men are bastards yeah. or or you know that's a belief that yeah, yeah. some people have and what at that part of the brain will then do is only notice information that fits with that story and that's all unconscious it's not something we're deliberately doing not to have great relationships with men and it's, it works the other way mm. I mean I can't think of a belief that well I can't think of one but I yeah, no, well, yeah, no don't worry I've, I've heard many of the all women are <laughs> right. not, but I can't repeat it on yeah. here. so so that is a uh, what what that threat part will then do is is just select information that fits with that story. Yeah. And again, it's, I know it's a distressing story, but it fundamentally comes from a protective place, I think. Um, but we don't even notice all of that's happening. No. And of course, if we go into an environment with men, whatever the belief is, with men or women with that belief, we're just naturally disconnected from them, or we don't trust them. Or if we go into an environment or, uh, with men or women who have the same belief, we all ratify each other's beliefs. Uh, other's exactly, beliefs. We go, and that's the echo oh, yeah, chamber yeah. thing. We, we're surrounded by other people, and, and they right. all have their stories, of course yeah. they do, because they have that part of their brain too that support the story that yes, all men are x yeah. or all women are y yeah so you kind of need to look for so say if it's men and women look for a successful relationship yeah and, and look at them and a little bit like when our children are looking at our behaviors we kind of need to see something positive in a yeah. relationship and, yes. and think well that can happen absolutely so, you know why why can't yeah you know what what is it that they're doing you know yeah and what can i recognize in myself yeah yeah and do that so this is all really interesting um but what um there's so much more we could have talked about but one thing I want to make sure that we do um, is give some advice to the listeners out there so uh, thinking of a question if you could advise people of three things to start doing because they often say to make a habit just pick three things don't overwhelm yourself so three things um, that they can start doing to improve their kind of sense of well-being meaning purpose what kind of advice would you give well, actually, taking from what you said, I would say gratitude, a gratitude mm-hmm. journal or practice is, is one of the most important things. If you're looking at you know, that threat part that I talked about, the reward bit and then connection, threat is about problems, as I say, so flaws, how things are falling short, not good enough. Reward, so um, alcohol, drugs, is all, uh, money, is all about this moment not being good enough. So I need to change this moment. It needs to be better. I need to be uh, better. So gratitude fills gaps. Gratitude is not the place of gaps and problems and flaws. How am I less than somebody else? Or is absolutely the place of grounding what is good about now, untouched. Mm-hmm. And that is profoundly shifts people's experience, I think. So I would definitely say one of the main things would be to have a gratitude practice. It doesn't have to be... My, uh, you, I do think in terms of body I mean mental health awareness week was about body image so uh, I mean I do think that's across the board with men and women so I'd also add to that gratitude about the body so yes. if you're going to work some in I would say uh, you know gr- gratitude about particular aspects of mm-hmm. being able to see hear hug 
you know, the fact I'm breathing. I know it might sound strange, but we take all those things mm. for granted, yeah. and our life depends on them. Yeah. So, so I think gratitude's important. Um, I think I like the sort of comparison as the thief of joy thing, particularly with social media. Being conscious about the fact that um, a lot of the way things are set up now, and and as I say, social media, we are going to be provoked, compelled by a part of us to compare ourselves to other people and that comparison is the thief of joy so as soon as we're in that territory we're away from um, uh, what is of worth and value as a, about us now so so I would watch I mean that I would watch what's happening what we're doing internally with social media mm. you know are we using it as a place to have fun with friends show creativity because that's another great you know posting photographs and whatever it might be as a way to show creativity really connection with self and connection mm. with other people but is that what we're actually doing most of the time so um so i think it's important to um notice that and i'm trying to think of others oh yes and i suppose it's a, li- a little bit linked to taking uh, to gratitude but doing that taking stock thing so look back over our lives and um just consciously think when we're in the car or driving what what is it that enables us to do the complicated things that we do now Mm. Uh, if we work what enables us to maintain relationships with other people you know there's a good there'll be good levels of intelligence organizational skills communication skills uh what enables us to maintain friendships um the you know if we're off to the to the gym or whatever it is what's what's enabling us to do that we're able to afford a gym membership we're able to get in the car and to be drive we whatever it might be um you know really grounding those things that are good about us now Mm. untouched without changing Mm. because a lot of the sort of self-development stuff can for people be predicated on the basis they're not good enough now Mm. as they are Mm. actually in the amount of coming to therapy for people i want to be different i want to be a better person and i would always say there are aspects of self that need to change potentially mm. but one of the things that needs to change is to think you're not as good you're not good enough as you are now yeah acceptance of self exactly yeah. so so there is um, you know it, i think the balance needs to be i'm good enough as i am now and perhaps this aspect in terms of anger or fear could i could do with managing that part mm. uh so so i think more consciously do that mm. and that can all be done you know we have i don't know if say the book 70 or 80,000 thoughts a day so really watch what they're doing. You know, are they threat thoughts? Are they comparison? Uh, and then manage them into, I believe, places like gratitude and places like... Because gratitude tends to be an external. I'm glad I have this or that. or Which is one of the reasons for the body is also to connect to the body. And I suppose the taking stock thing is gratitude of our qualities, mm. knowing who we are. Mm. You know, that sense of who we are is incredibly important. Or we'll be far too reactive and porous to other people's opinions yeah which are completely dependent on whether they're having a good day or not a good day no how absolutely they see and i guess then linked with trying to manage those thoughts or be aware of those thoughts then these things that i do that and probably people have their own techniques i i now as we're talking to you i'm grateful that i can walk yeah um so i will go for a walk and and i will um actively if you want to call it mindfulness notice nature so i've been going for a walk around near where you live lately and there's a there's a bush that has some 
it's just it's so touchable that's just the best way I can describe yes. it yes um but every time I go there I want to touch it and then I feel really grateful that I can t- and I will now feel really grateful that I can touch it yeah and the other thing I like to do is I love to write and if if those negatives definitely if those negative thoughts are coming in if I write I suppose it's like anyone who paints or takes photographs or does anything where they are then refocusing their thoughts on that activity yeah that makes a really big difference to me yeah. and then I can say you know I'm grateful that this is me this is me now I'm grateful that I can write yeah. you know and absolutely all that. so that's absolutely. kind of what I picked up from you today yeah. as well and there's a you know a little example in the book if you're that threat pup will want to get to places and you can get behind somebody who's walking slowly because oh, I don't know age or infirmity or whatever it might be but that threat part will say will get irritated and annoyed by them the gratitude part would say you know thank goodness that I can mm. walk quickly or mm. whatever it might be it's just a matter of shifting mm. focus but as I say a natural place I think our default place is to see the problem and to get annoyed by it so we can profoundly and life is made up of moment by moment experience if in that moment I'm annoyed life is annoying if I shift my attention and think thank isn't it wonderful that I can quickly walk into Waitrose uh, then I am I'm in a place of gratitude and happy and mm. content. Mm. So, yeah, powerful, being able to do it? that, it j- just shifts life profoundly. Yeah. Shifts life profoundly. We don't have to change career or change re- relationship or whatever it might be. We can just make ourselves happy in that moment, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. quite profound. No, so it's been great um, chatting with you today. I have actually come up with some new things for me to do. Um, I also want to let um, the listeners know, so... Where, the, where can they buy your book? Well, first of all, the title of your book, just to remind people. Yeah, it's called Finding a Balanced Connection. And where can they buy it? They can buy it on Amazon.co.uk Brilliant. or Cobham Bookshop. Or Cobham uh, Bookshop. maybe a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Cobham Bookshop have sold five copies, which, <laughs> <laughs> which has delighted you, them. I'm, and I'm me. hoping we'll have some listeners in Cobham. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you never know. And then on your social media, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, Twitter. Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, This Trusted Place, and also well, LinkedIn. So Right, yeah. okay. Brilliant. Well, thanks for chatting today. Thank you. Um, and for anyone listening, if you liked this episode, please mention it to others. Um, I have got um, an explanation out on my social media. So that's um, Nettie K Blogs on Instagram. Um, I'm also... Um, I just need to change my name on Twitter I think I'm actually Silk Pajabas on Twitter um, but you can also find me on Hot and Moody which is another podcast um, and I've just recently done a video on Twitter to say how to listen to a podcast so if you're anyone you know says I don't know what a podcast is I don't know how to listen then you can either tell them how to do it or just direct them to um, my video um, and I will um, definitely make sure I rename some of my social media so it's easier for you to find me as well so thanks for listening and we will have um, future episodes to listen to soon as well and thanks JP thank you